Amen. Puts everything in perspective, doesn't it? As Calvin would remind us in book one, paragraph one, the first sentence, true wisdom comes in first and foremost knowing who God is, and in light of God's glory we see ourselves and understand who we are as creatures. And not only creatures, creatures in need of redemption, creatures who need a God who can save. And the good news of the gospel is that we have such a God, a God who saves sinners. I was just struck by Mr. Hutton's reading of Revelations 5. Weep no more, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seals. We live a life, a veil of tears, right? Our lives are so marked by tears and struggle and angst, and yet we know in Jesus Christ we weep no more because the lamb has conquered the root of David. And I found that very strange, the root of David. David's greater son is called the root of David. He is David's foundation. He is David's righteousness. He is David's great son. Oh, beloved, let us open the root of David's word to Psalm 29. Psalm 29, a psalm of David. As we ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. It's a psalm of praise to Yahweh. Yahweh is just the personal name of the Lord, the covenant Lord of Israel. When you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, you have the personal name Yahweh. Hear now the reading of God's holy word as I read Psalm 29 in its entirety. Ascribe to the Lord Yahweh, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord Yahweh glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor or beauty of holiness or in holy attire. The voice of the Lord Yahweh is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord Yahweh over many waters. The voice of the Lord Yahweh is powerful. The voice of the Lord Yahweh is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord Yahweh breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord Yahweh flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord Yahweh shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord Yahweh makes the deer give birth and strips the forest, the forest bare. And in his te- temple all cry glory. The Lord Yahweh sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord Yahweh sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord Yahweh give strength to his people. May the Lord Yahweh bless his people with peace. Blessed be the name of the Lord Yahweh. Let us ascribe and give glory to his name. Please pray with me. Our Father and our God, we come as weak, needy, sinful sinners redeemed by grace in Jesus Christ, calling upon you to give us the music behind the lyrics that is Psalm 29 today, that we would hear the song 
of all of heaven and all of creation as it sings of your majesty and of your praise and of your glory. Lord, I am inadequate. These stuttering lips, this sinful heart cannot utter the praise that you need, the praise that is due, the glory of your name. Would you come and bless our hearts and bless my mouth, Lord, as we seek with the psalmist David to give and to ascribe glory that is due to the name Yahweh our God and to his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, the root of David, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, who takes away our sin. Oh, Father, we pray as we clothe ourselves in the holy attire provided by the Lamb, bless the words that I will speak this day and give your people ears to hear. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. I do, I feel so inadequate to to preach this because it is a song that sings of the glory of the Lord Yahweh. There is no greater song. It's a song that can never tire Right, we get songs in our head and we think, well, I wish I could just get that song out of my head. Oh, that little ditty or jingle or song that we hear, the pop culture song. But can you imagine that the song where the, the myriads upon myriads and the saints who have gone before us, the church triumphant sits around the throne of God, joining the chorus of all of heaven and crying, worthy is the Lamb. Worthy to receive all glory, power, and honor. And the seraphim and the cherubim of Isaiah 6. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is full of His glory. And that song never tires. Since the beginning of creation. That's the cherubim's only job. The seraphim. And they never grow tired. It never grows. You never want to get it out of your head when you're in heaven. I know to preach this psalm of the glory that is our God, it is beyond me. So please pray for me, even as I, as I expound it and lay it out before you. But a man who knew something of the greatness of this psalm, Carl Bloberg, he was a Swedish minister in 1885, penned these words as he was caught in a midday thunderstorm on the coast of Sweden. O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior, God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. Do you ever get caught up in the glory that is the triune God? It is the greatest thing a man can think about. The greatest thing a man thinks about is what he thinks about when he thinks about God. Do you ever get enraptured like David, like Mr. Bloberg? As you read Psalm 29, you you get the sense that David himself penned this psalm as he reflected on the majesty and the supremacy and the power and the might of God as it's displayed in the thunderstorm. And as if there were any doubt about who the psalm is about, did you notice as I was reading the Word of God, 18 times in 11 verses, the personal name of God 
is mentioned. It's all about God. It's consumed with God. It's theocentric to the max. It's full of the glory of God. And the phrase, the voice of the Lord, occurs seven times. There are no petitions in the psalm. There are no lamentations in the psalm. There are no confessions of sin in the psalm. It's all about the glory of God. Just a call to join all of creation in heaven and on earth in the worshiping of the triune God. And of course, it's very Presbyterian. It divides nicely into three parts. And here are the three parts that we'll look at this morning. Worship the Lord for His glory in heaven, in verses 1 and 2. Worship the Lord for His glory in heaven, verses 1 and 2. Worship the Lord for His majesty and sovereignty over all the earth, verses 3 to 9. And thirdly, worship the Lord for His Majesty in the midst of his people, verses 10 through 11. So let's look first to the first point, verses 1 and 2. As, as David takes us, as it were, as he ascends into heaven and calls on heaven to manifest and praise the glory of God and the worship of the Lord for his glory in heaven. David's overflowing heart immediately calls on the heavenly beings, the, the sons of might, O oh, heavenly beings. This is the angelic host that fills heaven. And what is he calling them to do? Ascribe, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Three times in rapid succession, David calls all of heaven to acknowledge the worth and the power of the living God, the, the covenant Lord of Israel. Ascribe to him glory and strength. Ascribe to him the glory due his name, the very name that was revealed to Moses there in the burning bush at the mountain of God. Ascribe to him the glory due his name. To acknowledge it, to recognize it. This name that speaks of his character, his nature, who he is, and what he's done in the salvation of his people. It is his name that David calls us to magnify in Psalm 8. He calls majestic, O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is thy name in all the earth. That name in Proverbs 18.10 that the Proverbs, rather Solomon tells us, is a strong tower. The righteous run to that name and are safe. It's this name that Paul tells us in Philippians 2.9-10 that God in Jesus Christ has exalted above every name. So that at the name of Jesus Christ, all of heaven and all of earth would confess that he is Lord to the glory of the Father. And every tongue and every knee would bow. David goes on in verse 2 and he calls on heaven to worship the Lord in the splendor or the beauty of holy attire. The word worship here means to bow down before him. It speaks of subordination of the creature of the creature's will to the supremacy of God. He's calling upon the angels to, to get on their face before the Lord of glory, before His splendor, before His majesty, before His glory. To lower oneself in the presence of Him who is high and lifted up, the one who is transcendent and lofty, 
whose eyes are too pure to look upon iniquity. Get on your face, you angels, you heavenly hosts, before this Lord of glory. Derek Kidner says this, to ascribe, to, to give glory and strength and list the mind, the cranium, while to worship, to bow down before and list the will. You see, it's a matter of submission. And David calls the angels and the heavenly host to, to bow down before the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. For there is no one like our God, the only wise God, who in his being is infinite, eternal, unchangeable in his wisdom and his power and his justice and his mercy and his goodness and his truth. There is none like him. No, not one. The Lord and him alone, he is the Lord. He is the great king of heaven. We're to worship. But we think to ourselves, we stop and we pause. But why does David call upon the angels to do what the angels were created to do. Why? Why does the king call upon the angels to worship? I believe it's because Saints David's heart is so full with the praise of his God. It's bursting at the seams. He feels his own worship is so inadequate, so unworthy of the glory of God. He calls on the angels to come along and to aid him, to equip him, to join with him. Because of his, his faulting tongue and heart are so inadequate. He knows his worship to be inadequate to express the greatness and the worth of his God. So he calls upon heaven to join him in ascribing glory to the Lord, the glory due his name. And beloved, as redeemed sinners in Jesus Christ, as new covenant believers in David's greatest son, should we be any less amazed at the glory of God and do any less than David says here? Should we be any less amazed at the greatness of God revealed in Jesus Christ, God's final word, his only begotten son? Right? Are you downcast today? Are you preoccupied with the week before you or the week behind you or the circumstances of life. God calls upon us to make a, a sacrifice of praise, to begin to praise him in the midst of your circumstances, in the midst of your sorrows, in the midst of your trials. You know, so many people come into my office and it's always about me and my problems. And I understand it because I have a lot of problems as well, a lot of trials, a lot of heartache. But what I have found is that when you begin to, to look out, and you begin to look to heaven, and you begin to meditate on the greatness that is our God and his majesty, and you give him the glory due his name, it puts everything in perspective. It recalibrates the heart and the mind and the will. It brings it into submission to what is true, what is eternal, what is unseen, the triune God. Well, beginning in verse 3, it shifts, doesn't it? The, the scene shifts from the worship of God in heaven to the worship of God in all the earth. That leads us to our second point. Worship the Lord for his sovereignty over all the earth. Verses 3 to 9. Now, David takes us from the throne of, of grace where the angels have gathered, where everything that lives, like Psalm 150, is ascribing glory, everything that breathes is to praise the glory that is our God, to give him the glory due his name. 
He takes us from that scene to the Mediterranean Sea via a thunderstorm in verses 3 to 4. A storm that, that sweeps and begins to gather on the horizon there on the Mediterranean. That large body of water there where Paul had all those missionary journeys where he would go throughout all of Europe proclaiming Jesus Christ. The storm begins to gather. The, car, the clouds are growing dark. The storm manifests itself in great power and great glory and it begins to move inland. It begins to move into the north, to the mountains of Lebanon, all the way back down south to the wilderness of Kadesh. We have three scenes, the sea, the mountains, and the wilderness. In verses 3 to 4, David tells us that the storm, that in the storm is the voice of the Lord. It's over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord Yahweh over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. You see, the Lord God controls and commissions the storm. He's directing the storm to his own purpose and glory. He's the king of kings above the storm, who's called the storm into being, into existence for his own glory and majesty, empowering, ruling, and directing it. Now, you're not going to hear that on the Weather Channel. You're not going to hear that in your university biology class or meteorology class. But I wonder if our children are hearing it in their homes. If fathers are taking up that other book, the word of God as it's spoken in creation, are we teaching, are we using it to catechize our children of the glory and the splendor and the majesty that's due unto the God who is? Are we teaching our children to, to listen for the voice of God as he speaks? As the heavens are not silent, as the psalmist would say. There is no language and voice where they're not heard. Do you take up the book of general revelation and do you use it? The great theologians and the great Christians of the past did that. Jonathan Edwards loved spiders. He loved the glory and the majesty and the supremacy of God as it's seen in a spider. Kids, do you like thunderstorms? I can remember I was telling Pastor Pritchard, on Friday when I was with him, I can remember growing up in our home, we had a, um, we did have a maid. Yeah, I know, I'm a little entitled. Um, her name was Queenie. Love her. Simple, simple saint. Not really uh, that bright as far as intellectually, not very cerebral, but she feared God. And I can remember as a small child, sitting in that home on Seminary Avenue, north side, where I was uh, being raised, when the thunderstorms would roll in, she said, Dennis, we need to sit down. That's the Lord's word. The Lord is speaking. Let the earth be silent before him. Fathers, do you do that? Are you too busy talking about the high-pressure system, meeting that low-pressure system, and creating this disturbance in the atmosphere. You take the beauty and the glory and the majesty of the voice of the Lord as it's heard in creation. Where have all the poets gone? Where have those who believe in the supernatural gone? Are we so landlocked in this imminent frame of existence we no longer hear the voice and the glory and the majesty of God 
in his creation. Oh, Father, pity us this day. You've given me ears to hear. Would you open them to hear your voice? Seven times I'm told that the voice of the Lord is heard in the storm. And I wonder if you or I have this week recently heard the voice of the Lord in the beauty and the glory of creation and cried out, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. You know, it was a storm that God used to change the life of Martin Luther. He was studying law and he was caught in a thunderstorm. A bolt of lightning struck nearby and he cries out to St. Anne. Now, we know Luther had a lot of theological development to undergo, right? We know that. But when that lightning bolt strike, he cries out in fear. It must have been one that lightning bolt that I had experienced in Virginia Beach. One of the worst storms I ever personally had been in was in Virginia Beach, believe it or not. Right outside of Walmart, there was a pole right there as I was exiting. It was torrential rain. It was, it was, it was raining wildebeest and elephants. I mean, that's how much it was raining. And that lightning bolt struck that transformer, and it's exploded. And it was the glory of the Lord. The voice of the Lord thunders, you see. There are no arbitrary storms, no arbitrary raindrops, no rogue molecules, according to Psalm 29. Right? Are we so sophisticated that we have missed the glory of God, that we have an explanation, scientific explanation to explain the poetry of life away, to explain the beauty of life away. And I'm not talking about being romantic and being sentimental. I'm talking about what the psalmist is teaching here in Psalm 129, or Psalm 29, that his glory is seen. It's seen in the storm. In verses 5 to 7, the, the storm makes landfall and it moves from west to east as it travels over the mountains of Lebanon and Syrian. But these towering mountains with their majestic cedars are as nothing before the voice of the Lord. Now, imagine sea level and imagine just the juxtaposition of this great piece of granite just shooting up right there on the coast, 9,000 feet, these great mountains of Lebanon. We're told in verse 5 that the voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon, these massive trees that were and are circumference 40 feet in diameter. They snap like twigs before the voice of the Lord. As the storm rushes down the mountains, he speaks with the thunder and the mountains shake. Nothing can stand before the voice of the Lord. Verse 6, the mountains, they skip like a calf like a wild ox. The mountains are as nothing before the Lord of glory. And when the thunder comes, the lightning comes with it. Verse 7, it flashes forth flames of fire. And I read this week that lightning can heat up the air. It passes through to 50,000 degrees Fahrenheit. Five times hotter than the sun. That blows my mind. And when it hits a tree, it immediately vaporizes any water in that tree. That's why the tree explodes. Such is the voice of the Lord of glory in the storm. And as the storm moves with vengeance over the mountains of Lebanon, it goes south. And it reaches the wilderness of Kadesh. And there, David tells us in verse 8, the voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. 
with violence. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. Beloved, nothing can silence the voice of the Lord, not the Mediterranean Sea, not the mountains of Lebanon, not the wilderness of Kadesh. So powerful is the voice of the Lord, we're told in verse 9, it scares the expecting deer to tremble in terror, to prematurely give birth. It strips the forest bare. In the face of such power, what can the people of God do and declare in the temple other than glory? Words are inadequate. All you can do is cry, glory. And that's what they did. Glory. Glory. For they understood who they were in the face of the splendor and the majesty and the glory that is the triune God. That praise that began in heaven now has reached the people in the temple and the voices of the redeemed. Beloved, how can, else can we respond but to cry with everything that lives glory? What else can we do than to ascribe to the Lord the glory to his name? It's the only rational thing a rational creature made in the image of God can do. Calvin says this, How monstrous is it that while irrational creatures tremble before the Lord, rational men cannot remain but unmoved. How can we remain unmoved? Ralph Davis says this, it's somewhat comical, he says, often when we think of God's majestic glory, we are inclined to envision some serene landscape, but Psalm 29 reminds us that we might be better served by watching a Weather Channel rerun of the six worst storms of the decade. Cut it on and see the glory of God in the hurricane, in the earthquake, in the tornado, or come with me to Jackson, Mississippi, on a four o'clock in the afternoon on a Sunday and you're hiding in the bathroom, the cubbyhole, because the, the sky has turned turquoise because a storm is brewing, is coming through. Such is the voice and the glory of the Lord. You see, it causes you to tremble and get perspective and all you can say is glory. Glory be unto our God. You see, the hymn writer had it right when he wrote, His chariots of wrath, the deep thunderclouds form, and dark is his path on the wings of the storm. Well, that leads us to our third and final point. Worship the Lord for his majesty in the midst of his people, verses 10 through 11. As David meditates on the glory and power of the Lord in the storm, he recalls another storm where the majesty and the glory of God was made manifest. Verse 10, notice the storm that he refers to here. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. What flood is this? Well, the only time this word flood in the Hebrews used is only in Genesis chapter 6, as it refers to the flood of Noah, right? There, where the power and the greatness of God was displayed, when the depths of the earth burst open and the floodgates of heaven let loose and the rain fell for 40 days and nights, there the Lord of glory sat enthroned as king. But not only is the Lord enthroned over the great flood, the second half of verse 10 reminds us that he's presently reigning over all, over all the storms in all the earth. Whatever the storms are, whether they be the storms in nature or the storms in your life, the Lord is reigning over those storms. 
He's not vexed. He's not anxious. He's not worried. No, he's reigning in glory over your life and all the storms that you're going through and will go through. Upon his throne he sits, he were told, giving strength and peace to his people. The ESV translates verse 11 as a petition. See that? See where it says, may the Lord give strength to his people? It's better rendered, the Lord Yahweh will give strength to his people. The Lord Yahweh will bless his people with peace and shalom. And isn't it interesting that amidst this great storm that David has painted for us from the Mediterranean Sea to the mountains of Lebanon to the wilderness of Kadesh, the very last word that he speaks is the word peace, shalom. He reminds us that the Lord is not only enthroned king forever, he's the king who strengthens us, who uses his peace and gives us his peace to his storm-weary people over all the storms of life, amidst the trees that are shattering, the mountains that are quaking, there sits in heaven a Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, God's right hand who uses his strength to bless us with his peace. And we conclude this psalm by we asking ourselves, where else have we seen the glory of the Lord in a storm? And I thought to myself, well, we see the glory of the Lord in the storm in Mark chapter 4, do we not? There on the Sea of Galilee, Jesus and his disciples, right, they've gone out. It was his idea, the Lord Jesus' idea, let us go out on the sea and get some rest. So he's laying down on there on the cushion in the stern of the ship with his head on the pillow. And, and again, a storm begins to form in the Mediterranean. It's so violent and so fierce and so terrifying. We're told that the, the waves begin to break over the boat and the disciples are panicking. They're in great terror and great fear. They cry out, Oh Lord, do you not care that we're perishing? The Lord Jesus, fully man and fully God, the God-man awakens from his sleep and he speaks to the storm, to the fear of the, the wind and the waves. And he says, silent, be still. And the storm is silenced. In Psalm 29, he brings the storm. In Mark 4, he calms it. And the disciples panicking in the midst of the storm were now told... Mark tells us, they begin to ask themselves, who then is this? They were greatly afraid. They were afraid of the storm, but they were greatly afraid of this one who was in the boat with them. Mega afraid. Megaphobia, if you will. It was phobia before, but now it's megaphobia. Who is this? Who is this Lord of glory? Let us ascribe to him the glory due his name. And fathers, next time you have a thunderstorm, take the thunderstorm in your hands and use it to teach your children and your wives the glory of the Lord. Ascribe to the Lord the glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. May God give us grace to hear Him speak in the storm. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your goodness and your mercy. Our Father, we would pray that you would take the word that we have heard and awaken our dull and lustless hearts and fill them with your glory that we might sing 
afresh of your glory. We might meditate on your glory as it's seen not only in heaven as it's described for us in Revelation 5 when there's weeping because no one was found worthy to open the scrolls, but there was one, the root of Jesse, the lion of the tribe of Jesse, of David, even our Lord Jesus Christ. Not only there, but also seen in the book of general revelation as you speak through the weather and through the storm and through all of life. Would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear and lips to sing and hearts to praise. We would pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.